Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, Christ Fellowship. Good morning to those that are joining us via live stream as well. I'm very excited to be here with you this morning. Uh, Today is a special day, not only because I get to share the word with you, but it's also my dad's birthday. Happy birthday, Daddy. Love you. Thank you. As most of us know, we have been going through uh, the books of the Bible from Genesis, and today we're going to be talking about the book of Jeremiah. And we've been doing this now for about six months, so I thought today would be a great day for a pop quiz. Oh, are you guys ready for it? You guys are quiet. Everybody ready? I promise you it's only going to cover the books that we've already done, and it's true and false. Okay, so everybody ready? All right. We're going to start with the first one. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. Is that true or false? True. Very good. Very good. The second one, Noah was 200 years old when he fathered Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Is that true or false? False. Does anybody know how old they say he was? Go ahead, Ed. Close. 500 years old. Number three, Moses fled from Pharaoh to Midian because he killed an Egyptian. True or false? True. Number four, Isaac was Abraham's first son. False. What was his name? Ishmael. Very good. Number five, David was the first king of Israel. False. Who was the first king of Israel? Saul. Six, on Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments were given to Aaron. False. Who were they given to? Moses. You guys have been listening and studying. Number seven, during Queen Esther's reign, Haman plotted to kill the Jews. True. Very good. Eight, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. True. Nine, on the fifth day, God created the sun, moon, and stars. What did he create? On the fifth day, anybody want to take a guess? Birds and the sea animals. Very good. And the last one, Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. True. Anybody here got them all right? All right. You guys are good. Good job. Good job. So now we're really going to go back into our book of Jeremiah, which is what we are talking about today. And Jeremiah has 52 chapters in it. It's a book of prophecy, and it was written 
in 585 to 570 BC, and it covers the period of 575 BC through 25 AD. And the author of Jeremiah is Jeremiah. Now, what do we know about Jeremiah? We know that Jeremiah was a priest, and he was called to be a prophet at an early age. And we're going to read that in Jeremiah chapter 1, starting in verse 4. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Now imagine hearing those words. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you to say. What am I going to be telling people? Right? I would be thinking that. What am I going to say? Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you. Why am I going to need rescuing? What is happening? And then it ends with, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow, build and plant. That's huge. This is serious. It implies that something has grown up which is detrimental to the health of the community. Something has been constructed which violates all manner of code and has been officially condemned and deemed unsafe. It's not enough to simply plant and build. The first order of business, the larger and more difficult task, is demolition, toppling over, Tearing things up by their roots, a great undoing. What could have happened to bring about such strong words from God? Well, if you read Jeremiah with me, you're going to see that through the first 24 chapters, we see that Israel has broken the covenant they had with God and violated all the terms of the agreement they made in the Torah. They are worshiping all kinds of God. We see Jeremiah using the metaphor of idolatry, right? I mean, of idolatry as adultery. So every time he's talking about them, he's calling them adulterers. He describes what the people are doing as prostitution, promiscuity, unfaithfulness in how they have given their allegiance to other gods. He even accuses the leaders of Israel, the priests, the kings and prophets of having become corrupt They have abandoned the Torah and the covenant, which brings about a great social injustice to the most vulnerable, the widows, the orphans, and the immigrants. They were all being taken advantage of in violation of the Torah 
and the leaders didn't seem to care. Let's read chapter 7 and see what Jeremiah says in chapter 7, starting in verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house, which bears my name, become a, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. And it goes on and on about all the warnings that God is giving his people. And it continues on to verse 21. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, go ahead, add your burnt offerings to your other sacrifices and eat the meat yourselves. For when I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices, but I gave them this command, obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you, that it may go well with you. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. They went backward and not forward. From the time your ancestors left Egypt until now, day after day, Again and again, I sent you my servants, the prophets, but they did not listen to me or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and did more evil than their ancestors. Now, this is the message that Jeremiah is bringing. Jeremiah stands up to proclaim that the God of Israel is coming in judgment. He will destroy his own temple and punish Israel by sending an enemy from the north. This is an army that God would allow to conquer Jerusalem. And we find out that this army is from Babylon. 25 chapters in, Israel still has not turned back to God. So in the first year of the new Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, God tells Jeremiah to announce that the Babylonian armies are heading to Israel to conquer them and take them into exile for 70 years. He compares Babylon to a cup of wine filled to the brim with God's just 
anger. It's filled to the brim, to the point of overflowing at all of Israel's injustice and idolatry. And God will make Israel and the nations drink from that cup. Chapters 26 through 45 describe Babylon's coming attack on Israel. And chapters 46 through 51 describe the attack on the other nations. We read through Jeremiah begging the people to turn back to God and warning them up to the last minute. But the leaders of Israel and the people rejected him. The section concludes with a large collection of stories of how Jerusalem was under siege and eventually destroyed by Babylon and about how Jeremiah was persecuted throughout that time and eventually kidnapped and taken against his will to Egypt. But it's not all gloom and doom. In the middle of this dark time, there's a collection of Jeremiah's messages of hope for Israel's future. And you find those in chapters 30 and 31. Jeremiah picks up on something that Moses had said, that after Israel had broken the covenant and gone into exile, God would not abandon his people, but instead he would renew his covenant with them and transform their hearts. Jeremiah develops this promise and says that God is going to one day inscribe the laws of the Torah, not only on tablets, but rather on the hearts of his own people and heal their rebellion so that one day they will truly love and follow him completely. And so one day Israel will return back to the land and the Messiah from the line of David. He is going to come, and that is when all the nations are going to recognize Israel's God as the true God. Book concludes from a story taken from the end of 2 Kings. Babylon's final attacks on Jerusalem burns the temple and takes the people into exile. The story shows how Jeremiah's warnings of coming judgment were fulfilled. But then it ends with the captive Israel king Jehoiakim, heir to the line of David. And the king of Babylon releases him from prison and shows him favor by inviting him to eat at the royal table for the rest of his life. A little glimmer of hope at the end of the book. So thank you for coming today. I hope you have a lovely Sunday, and I hope that you enjoyed the book of Jeremiah. Just kidding. That's not where it ends, but I know what we're thinking, right? The people of God get taken back into exile. Like, how could that happen? God had delivered their ancestors from Egypt, from slavery, from bondage. And yet, here they were years later, exiled. How? How did this happen? How could it happen? They should have known better. Jeremiah was warning them. The warnings were there, right? The the signal The horns were blaring. The little check engine light was on. It was there. They had it all. How could they do this? Let's be honest. We think about them and we think about that, right? How? How could you circle back to that? And we do the same thing with people that we know. How could they circle back to their past? How? After all that God has done for them, how? 
How can they circle back? Don't they know any better? Don't they know any better? Don't we know any better? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to do a little soul searching. We're going to check and see if there's any check engine lights in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives today. And we're going to check and see if we know better and how can we do better. Right? I'm going to highlight five things from Jeremiah today. And the first one is this. Number one, disobeying or making light of God's word is dangerous and it's reckless. Jeremiah 8, 8 through 9 says, How can you say we are wise, for we have the law of the Lord, when actually the lying pen of the scribes has handled it falsely? The wise will be put to shame. They will be dismayed and trapped. Since they have rejected the word of the Lord, what kind of wisdom do they have? Refusing to accept, believe, and obey God's word led an entire nation to being destroyed. Its cities made rubble and survivors sent into exile. The people disobeyed and the leaders made light of God's word. They had God's word. They had it, but they did not do right by it. Knowing God's word means absolutely nothing if we're not going to apply it to our lives. Knowing God's word, confessing God's word, and not believing it means absolutely nothing if we're not obeying it and applying it daily. Knowing God's word and misapplying it to our lives so that we can seem better in the eyes of those around us does nothing for us, does absolutely nothing for us except lead us to destruction. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We all know what straight up disobedience looks like, right? I'm not doing it. I don't care what they say. I'm not doing it. That's straight up disobedience. And we can say, I'm not like that. I would never do that. I wouldn't say that. But what about partial obedience? Partial obedience to God's word is still disobedience. Complaining instead of obeying is still disobedience. When Israel finally reached the border of the promised land, 10 faithless spies brought back a bad report and caused them to hesitate. God was ready to lead them in, and yet the Israelites became afraid of the giants, armies, and fortified cities. This fear led to complaining and a a failure to obey God's direction. The consequences was 40 years of desert wandering and an entire generation missing out on the blessings God had offered them. Complaining instead of obeying. 
delayed obedience is still disobedience. I'll do it. I'm going to do what God asked me to do, but I'm going to do it on my time. I'm going to do when I feel it's the right time to do it, when I'm comfortable doing it, when everything is aligned perfectly. That's still disobedience. Obeying with an angry spirit or bad attitude. Still disobedience, right? I mean, as parents, we try and get our kids to not do that, right? I said, you need to do this and you need to do it with a good attitude. And, right? and we say that to them, but the same applies to us. We learned a few months ago that in a moment of anger, Moses and Aaron spoke harshly to the Israelites and struck the rock instead of speaking to it as God commanded. God still brought forth water from, for them to drink. But for this sin, the two leaders were not permitted to enter into the promised land. Questioning clear commands that God gives us, or God's word clearly gives us questioning them, is still disobedience. If you know that God has told you to do something, and you're still, well, Lord, are you sure about that, God? And you 100% sure, Lord, that's still disobedience. Disobeying or making light of God's word is dangerous and it's reckless. Number two, wrath is often a slow drip rather than a sudden flood. Jeremiah's public ministry extended for almost 40 years. And there were prophets before him and afterwards who warned God's people about their sin and who called them to repentance. During the latter years of Jeremiah's ministry, 13 years separated Nebuchadnezzar's first invasion of Judah and his final defeat and destruction of Jerusalem. This gradual unfolding of wrath and periods of relief was sometimes interpreted as evidence that Jeremiah was wrong. It was not God who was lying, but Judah's leaders and prophets. Jeremiah 5.31 says, The prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority, and my people love it this way. But what will you do in the end? First, let's understand wrath, right? Because we hear the word wrath, and we got all kinds of thoughts about this wrath. But God's wrath is not angry retribution against those who have offended God. It's not angry. Rather, it's his righteous judgment against those who do evil. God is righteous, and he will judge us according to his righteous standard. See, we go about and we think, you know, I'm doing things right according to my next-door neighbor. Or I'm doing things okay according, you know, to those people I follow on Facebook and according to so-and-so and this. But our standards need to be aligned with God's standards because when he's looking at us, that's what he's judging us by, his righteous standard. Ignoring God's warnings for us to repent and come to him 
to repent from hidden sin or bad behavior. Ignoring God's warnings to correct certain things in our lives will not stop God's righteous judgment. Just because we ignore it doesn't mean we're not going to have to deal with it at some point. It says here in verse 31, and my people love it this way. Let's be honest with ourselves. There are things we know we need to deal with, right? We know we need to deal and work on, but we look the other way because we don't want to deal with it. Or we have people around us that say, don't worry about it. It's not that bad. It's okay. I know people who've done or do much worse. And we like to surround ourselves with that, right? So then we don't have to deal with what's going on. I'm okay compared to so-and-so. And sometimes we may even think things are going fine. I don't have to deal with it because my life is going well. Blessings are coming. Things seem to be going right. But what will you do in the end? What will we do when we are judged against God's righteous standard? What will we do then? And he's talking to the people, right, Jeremiah, in the book, but he also goes further. Leaders of God's people must not twist or ignore God's word. That's number three. And I'm not only talking to those that are leaders here in the church, leaders of homes, leaders at work that know God, leaders in the community that have a relationship with God. We must not twist or ignore God's word. The strongest warnings and judgments are directed towards Judas teachers and priests, those who claim to speak for God and yet deny him with their words and actions. Leaders, we can't afford to trivialize, ignore, and remove words of Scripture simply because they are unpopular or difficult to talk about. Jeremiah 8, 11 through 13 reads, they dressed down the wounds of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when they are punished, says the Lord. You see, Jeremiah was proclaiming that judgment was coming upon Jerusalem. However, Jeremiah was opposed by the king and the priests who did not want to hear this message. In their opinion, Jeremiah's message of surrendering to Babylon amounted to treason. False prophets who claimed to speak for God also contradicted Jeremiah's message. Jeremiah proclaimed bloodshed, destruction, and judgment when Babylon conquered Jerusalem if the people did not repent. But the false prophets, on the other hand, said that the future of Jerusalem was looking bright. Jerusalem could look forward to peace and not war. Don't worry. Don't listen to what he's saying. It's not going to happen. Jeremiah was like a doctor delivering bad news to his patient. His diagnosis was that unless drastic measures were taken, the patient was going to die. However, the false prophets gave a second opinion. Don't listen to Jeremiah, they said. 
you're going to be just fine. Instead of radical surgery and a drastic change of lifestyle, the priest and false prophet said a light bandage was all that they needed. Today, we hear a lot about the message of prosperity, right? Some today say that Christian life is all about prosperity, but God does not promise that. There are others who ignore or downplay the seriousness of sin and say that God is not concerned with their behavior. But I'm here to tell you that he is concerned with our behavior. Others deny that eternal judgment awaits the unrepentant sinner, even though God has promised just the opposite. We live in a 24-hour news cycle, right? Where everything we say can be tweeted, can be reported, can be updated, can be seen across the world in the blink of an eye, and we can be canceled for anything that we may have said. Said correctly or not, taken out of context or not, does not matter. But I'm here to tell you that we should not twist God's word because we may fear what man may say. We have a message to share, and we need to share it truthfully, and we need to share it with love. Number four, divine grace and forgiveness is more astonishing and wonderful than we could ever imagine. And we're going to read Jeremiah 31, verse 1 through 11, and Jen is going to read that for us. Jeremiah 31, verses 1 through 11. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says. The people who survive the sword will find favor in the wilderness. I will come to give rest to Israel. The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again, and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. Again, you will take up your timbrels and go out to dance, with the joyful. Again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The farmers will plant them and enjoy their fruit. There will be a day when watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim, come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. This is what the Lord says, sing with joy for Jacob, shout to the foremost of the nations, make your praises heard and say, Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I will bring food. I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them, you, we will be blind. We will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labor. A great throng will return. And they will come up with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble because I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my firstborn son. Hear the word of the Lord, you nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. For the Lord will deliver Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. 
Thank you. Thank you. God loves to show mercy. God longs for his people to repent and return to him. He says here, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I will build you up again and you, virgin Israel. He describes Israel now as virgin Israel, not like before as the adulterer, prostitute, unfaithful. But here, God restores them and cleanses them. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God is ready to forgive and shower you with grace. No sin, however large you may think it is, or big or small, is outside of God's great mercy. Never, ever forget that. God wants to forgive us. He wants to shower us with his love. Number five, Jesus is the promised redeemer in Jeremiah. When we read Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34, it says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when, where, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. He's talking about this new covenant. It's not going to be written on tablets or stones or in scrolls like they had before. Because those things can get lost. They can get broken. They can be put away and never looked at. This new covenant, instead, the law will be in our minds and written in our hearts with us. The old covenant couldn't forgive sins. It could only cover them. The blood of goats and bulls couldn't take, away, couldn't take away sin. It could only cover the sin until they could be removed. The new covenant forgives sins. God sent his son as the ultimate sacrifice to forgive us of our sins. And that was what Jeremiah was sharing for us. This is, wasn't only for them. It's for us today. This new covenant was for us, for you and me, to be able to have a true relationship with Jesus Christ, one where we walk in obedience to his word, one where we want to do what he wants us to do, where our standard is Jesus, where our standard is his word. See, God loves to show mercy, 
And he is longing for his children to repent and turn to him. Today, there are warning bells ringing in some of us. Some of us, we know that there are check engine lights in us that we have been ignoring for some time. We can't continue ignoring it. You see, God wants us to come to him, and he will warn us like he did the people of Israel. But don't wait until it's too late. God made a new covenant for you and for me to be able to come to him. So today, as we're sitting here, I'm going to ask everyone to please close your eyes and bow your heads right now. If you're here today and you want to listen to that tugging in your heart, I need you, Lord. I want you in my life. I don't want to ignore you any longer. If that's you here today and you're ready, I want you to stand up right where you are. This is between you and God and no one else. And I want us to pray. So raise your hand and pray with me. Father God, I come before you today. I choose to no longer run, my Lord, but surrender to you today. Forgive me, Lord, of my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness, Lord. Come and live inside of me. In Jesus' name, amen. And if that's you, you can sit down, but I want to just encourage you that God loves you, loves us so much that that's all he wants us to do is to come to him and repent and give him our hearts and walk with him. But we're not done there. When you came in today, you should have received a communion cup. If you haven't, raise your hand and we'll have the ushers bring it to you. Keep your hand up so that they can see you. I don't know if anyone in the balcony needs, we need... We're good? Keep your hands up. We have somebody in the balcony that needs a communion cup. Now, before we take communion, this is where we do our heart check. Are there things inside of us that we've been ignoring? Are there thoughts, attitudes, their pride in us, anything that we know God has been asking us to surrender to him. I want you to think about those things. I want you to meditate and talk with God about it and surrender it to him. As we prepare for communion, we're going to have a video. You can go opening your communion cup so you're ready. But don't take it just yet. But spend that time. Is God sharing anything with you that he wants you to finally and completely give to him? Let's watch. Father God, we come before you this 
day, Lord God, and we surrender our hearts to you, Lord God. And we give to you, my Lord, those areas that you've been asking us to surrender to you, Lord God. Those hurts that we've been holding on to, those past mistakes, Lord God, that still haunt us, Lord. Father God, we give it to you today. And we choose today, my Lord, to walk in obedience to you and in obedience to your word, Father God. Forgive us, Lord. And as we, in that same spirit and in that same quietness, let us take his bread and eat it. And let us drink this cup in remembrance of him. Father God, thank you for loving us with an everlasting love, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son to die on a cross, Lord God, so that we could have a way to you. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving our sins, Lord God, for cleansing us, Lord God, for loving us, my Lord. We thank you for this, Father God. And today we choose, my Lord, to walk in obedience to your word, Father God. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go with God and God bless you. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.